Good morning. morning. It's good to gather. It is good to heed God's call and to worship Him. It's a couple of announcements before we begin. Um, We have our Bible studies. We have Sunday night Bible study tonight at 5 and women's Bible study Wednesday at 6. Both meet in the Fellowship Hall. Elders will meet tomorrow evening at 5 o'clock in the Fellowship Hall. Um, I'd also like to say thank you. Gratitude is always a good part of life. I, I came to a realization last week that the, the Proverbs series so far, which we're taking a, a short break from, the Proverbs series so far has been far easier than I was expecting. And at the beginning of uh, chapter 10, I asked you all for prayer to help me as it was a little bit different preaching through 10 through 31 than it is Proverbs 1 through 9. Um, a little bit less clear as to where the divisions are and what the subjects are, and so I asked for prayer for that. And I was realizing last week as I was preparing and preaching that somebody must be praying for me. And I just want to say thank you. That that means a lot to me. It means a lot to you all as well, more than you could ever know as, it, as God has, gives clarity through your prayers. So I do want to say thank you to everyone who prays for me and prays for my family. Um, Zachary didn't make it safely to Florida this week, so... Um, we thank God for that. And then the other thing I'd like to say thank you for, um, some of you know, I, I had the opportunity to do Carla's funeral on Friday. And this church ministered to her very well while she was here, while she was with us. And I just want to say thank you for that. Um, she was not an easy person to minister to. She was not an easy person to be around. Um, but we loved her well. And that means a lot to me as well. Um, so thank you for that. And, um, uh, I do appreciate that. And I know she would too, if she were here to be able to say it. So, um, I'm not handling that as well as I thought I would. So, um, but on a happier note, we do have a tradition in our church and we have a birthday today. So, uh, today is Michelle's birthday. She is here with us today. So. <laughs> You thought I was going to do it, didn't you? (laughs) Anyway, so let's sing happy birthday to Michelle. worship today comes from the book of Psalms, comes from Psalm 69, Psalm 69 verses 30 through 36. I will praise God's name in song and glorify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox, more than a bull with its horns and hooves. The poor will see and be glad. You who seek God, may your hearts live. The Lord hears the needy and does not despise his captive people. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and all that move in them. For God will save Zion and rebuild the cities of Judah. Then people will settle there and possess it. The children of his servants will inherit it, and those who love his name will dwell there. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we do thank you that we can know that when we cry out to you, that you hear We are poor in spirit before you because we are sinners and you have heard our prayer for salvation and we thank you for that. 
We thank you that you do not despise those who are captive to sin, but offer salvation to those who believe. You offer eternal life to those who cry out to you. And because you are a God who hears the poor in spirit, because you are a God who hears the needy in their sin, we are able to gather here in your presence to worship you in a way that you find acceptable. You no longer see our works as dirty rags because they are covered with the perfect works of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so that is why we are here today. We're here to worship you. We are here to be close to you. And we ask that you draw near to us as well. And Lord, you have taught us to pray. And so we pray in that way. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. God is a God who hears the needy when they cry out to him. So when we pray, we can anticipate God answering. So let us take Bible songs and turn to number 140 and sing that truth, the truth that we anticipate God to answer our prayers. So let us stand and sing Bible song 140, Anticipation of Answered Prayer.
seated. As Israelite gathered at the Mount of Sinai, God's voice thundered. With his law, he opened up by saying, I'm the God who brought you out of slavery, out of the land of Egypt. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Then he wrapped up the Ten Commandments with the reminder that we shall not covet anything that belongs to anybody, both of those tying together with idolatry. John Calvin said, our hearts are factories that produce nothing but idols. And so let us take a few moments to quietly confess those idols that our hearts produce. Lift up your heads and hear these words. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our scripture reading today comes from Psalm 87. A song of the sons of Korah. He has set his foundation on the holy mountain. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are said of you, O city of God. I will record Rahab and Babylon among those who acknowledge me, Philistia too, and Tyre along with Cush. And I will say this one was born in Zion. Indeed, of Zion it will be said this one and that one were born in her, and the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord will write in the register of the peoples this one was born in Zion. As they make music, they will sing, all my fountains are in you. The grass withers, the flowers fail, but the word of our Lord stands forever. We are called to worship God with all that we have. We are called to love God with all that we are. And so we show that worship, we show that love through the giving of tithes and offerings. We have opportunities here in the front or at the back, or also you can mail in your tithes and offerings.
Our God and Father, we do thank you for all that you give to us, and we thank you for the opportunity to worship you, to love you through the giving of our tithes and offerings. Lord, may you be worshipped well through what we give, and may it be used so that your name might be proclaimed here into the uttermost parts of the earth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please remain standing and take your hymn book. Turn to hymn number 250. Break thou the bread of life. We will celebrate the Lord's Supper. We will break that bread together later on in our service. So let us stand and sing and be reminded of the forgiveness of sins given to us through that bread of life as we sing hymn 250. seated. We are blessed to be a people who has had truth revealed to them, and we are blessed to be a people who has the truth of the word summarized in the words of the Apostles' Creed. So church, I ask you this, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right, just a couple of uh, updates that I have. Um, Linda Vance, uh, Betty's sister, is, has some surgery on a vocal cord coming up, so please keep her in your prayers. Also, Emily, we're thankful that Emily Vance is with us today as she did have some surgery to remove her 
kidney stones this week, so we're glad that, Emily, you're back with us and feeling well enough to be here. Um, We thank God as well. Jonathan had a little breakthrough on some pain that he was having post-surgery, and so we give God thanks for that. Continue to lift up uh, Katie as she uh, deals with her MS. We do praise God. Wesley did make it back into the States on Monday, so probably be another three or four weeks before he actually makes it home, but he is back in the States. Um, be praying for Mary Alderman as well. She was in the hospital on Friday with some health issues of her own. And um, with her dementia right now, she doesn't know about Carla. So um, just continue to lift Mary up in your prayer also. Any other updates or prayer requests? Hi. Yes, ma'am. Um, already suffered a heart attack. Okay. Yes. He does feel pretty good right now. Okay. Sadly, we lost a member of our extended family through virus. virus. Oh, wow. Uh, Nancy, our sister-in-law's sister and her husband wow. were taken by emergency to the hospital. They both had pneumonia, so they tested them. Mm. Both tested positive. They live in Myrtle Beach. Okay. And um, two days later, Austin passed away. Wow. And uh, Betty was in the hospital for a week, but recovered. But there is a miracle in this. She only has one lung. Wow. She survived that. Okay. So that it's uh, Austin and uh, Betty Sibbins. Okay. Mm-hmm. Any other prayer requests? Cameron? Hold on. Sorry. I think Garrett was praying for me. Garrett? Okay. Do you remember Garrett's last name? It's okay. Okay. Garrett Jones is a young man. He's about your age, right? Yeah, has a brain tumor. Okay. All right. And what's her last name? Gerlich. Gerlich. Okay. All right. Anything else? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our God and Father above, we do thank you for the opportunity to approach your throne in prayer. We have already professed through the reading of our call to worship and through the singing of our opening song that we know you will answer prayer, that you hear those who cry out to you. And so today we lift up these many, many prayer requests. We begin by thanking you for the graces that you have given. You have uh, brought Emily some relief from her kidney stones, and we thank you and praise you that she is back here with us. You have given Jonathan relief from his back pain, and we thank you that they have a way forward now that will help to Um, alleviate some of the pain that's been hanging around. And we thank you that Wesley is back in the States and is that one step closer uh, to being home and being reunited with his family and with his friends. And we praise you, Lord, for the fact that you do hear and that you do answer. We cry to you repeatedly 
Sometimes we weary in the waiting, but Lord, it is good to know that you hear and that you answer prayer. And so knowing that you hear and that you answer, we do lift these prayer requests up to you today. We lift up Linda and Linda Vance and ask that you um, give guidance and a steady hand to the surgeon as he performs the surgery on her vocal cord. And we ask for a quick recovery. And we ask that you provide uh, restoration uh, to her voice in that. And we ask that whatever the outcome, that you remind us that you are glorified through um, whatever happens to Linda. We lift up Artie and we thank you that he is on the road to recovery, that he is feeling better. We thank you that you protected him from this heart attack and that um, he has an opportunity to continue to enjoy life and to uh, continue to recover. And so we do ask for continued strength for him in his recovery. We thank we lift up to you, Austin and Betty Chisholm, as well as uh, we have this death from the virus that has hit close to the Farlows. And we ask that you uh, provide comfort, that you provide peace, that you provide strength, that you provide healing um, into that family as they uh, grieve the loss and as Betty recovers. We lift up to you Garrett Jones and uh, this young man with a brain tumor. We ask that you provide healing for him, that you provide strength for him. Lord, he rests in you. He, he loves you. And we ask that you honor him in that love. Uh, by bringing him the healing that he needs, that he wants. And we lift up Nancy Gerlich as well and ask that you provide healing uh, for her eye, that the, that you make this surgery successful. And Lord, help them to rest in you and help the family to show your love there as well. Lord, we have so many concerns on our plate uh, these days, whether it's a virus whether it's unsurety in our Supreme Court, whether it's uh, difficulty in selecting and voting for the next president, the next congressman or senators, state senator, state uh, delegates, governors, city councilmen, dog catcher, whatever it is that we are struggling to vote for, we ask that you give us wisdom and remind us that even though we are called to be good citizens of this country, that we are strangers and aliens here because we have a better country that we are united to through the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so help us to remember that. Help us to remember that whoever wins the elections that we are anxious over, that you are in control. Remind us that you told Daniel, that you told us through Paul as well, that you raise up rulers and you tear down rulers and you you raise up those to do your will, whether it's a will of judgment, or whether it's a will of peace. You have raised up the rulers that we have and that we are called to pray for them, that we are called to bring them before you. Regardless of whether we agree or disagree with their policies, we are called to bring them before you and to pray for your wisdom, to pray for your strength and to pray for thy will to be done in our government. But Lord, we do pray for government that allows us the peace to worship you, to worship you in freedom, to worship you uh, in safety. And so we ask for a government that will bring us the peace to worship you um, in the open, 
and safely. And we repent of the times that we have put way too much faith in our government, in our elections, sometimes more faith than we put in you. And so, Lord, help us to be good citizens, as I've already prayed, remembering that we are strangers and aliens in this world. Lord, as we turn toward your word, I do ask that you give me clarity of words and that you give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear your will. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We will read chapter 2, beginning in verse 19, and we will read through chapter 3, verse 6, as we consider Paul's words to the church in Ephesus. Uh, This part of Paul's letter here is actually part of a long run-on sentence that Paul wrote. He was so excited about the stuff he was teaching the Ephesians that he just kept writing and writing and writing and writing and just let it flow in one long run-on sentence. Thankfully, in the translations, they don't do that to us. They punctuate, they capitalize, so it's a little bit easier for us to understand. But these are words that excited Paul. So hear these words from Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 19. Consequently, and the consequently is there, this means in light of the union that we have, the unity that we have in Christ, Paul says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. And in him, you also are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promises, in, in the promise in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we do thank you for these words. We thank you for the reminder that through the work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the Jew, the Gentile, are brought together in union in Jesus And we thank you for the gift of the church that comes out of that work of unifying the Jew and the Gentile in Jesus. And so as we look at the work of the church, specifically the work of the church in membership, we do ask that you give us clarity today and that you lead us to a better understanding of our calling before you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Gregory and Cameron, you're... uh, Your generation gets a bad rap. You are accused of being commitment phobic, afraid of committing to anything. And while there may be some truth to that, that is more than likely my generation's fault because we began the work. And unless I forget my parents' generation, 
they had some hand in that as well. We do live in a culture that is commitment phobic, whether it's the fear to commit to a church, the fear to commit to a marriage, the fear to commit to a year-long membership at Sam's Club. We live in a society that is fearful of commitment. They avoid it at any cost. And we have a tendency to view the church that way as well. People are unwilling to make a commitment to a particular church. They're fine with salvation. They're fine with being members of the universal church, the, all the believers who are gathered under the banner of heaven. But when it comes to commitment to a local church, they want to leave their options open. And so today I want us to consider church membership in three lights. The first is the light that church membership is biblical. The second, that church membership is good for the church member. And thirdly, that church membership is good for the church as well. So first, is church membership biblical? Now, there is no 11th commandment that says thou shalt join a local church. If there was, it would be so much easier to explain church membership and the importance of church membership. But it's also important for us to remember that we don't always have clear teaching, clear commandments for things that the Scripture speaks for or against. On the side of speaking against, there is no clear commandment that says thou shalt have, thou shalt not have more than one spouse. And yet the witness of Scripture is pretty clear that every time a man takes more than one wife in the Old Testament, it goes horribly wrong for him. It goes south. And so we can glean from that what Dr. Bruce Waltke called um, law through narrative. We can glean from that that polygamy is bad or polyamory or whatever we're calling it these days. That it is not according to God's will because whenever it is presented, it is presented in a negative light. It typically goes south, as I said. Church membership is similar in that it is presented to us in a positive light, although not directly. It's something that, as the confession of faith says, it's not something that is clearly set forth, but but we can induce through reasonable work as we look at the scripture as a whole. We see that the Bible assumes that church membership is the norm, beginning in the Psalm 87 that we read earlier today. In Psalm 87.6 and also in 87.2, it talks about the Lord writing in the registers of the people, this one was born in Zion. We even see as we go through the New Testament, specifically in the book of Revelation, uh, that God will open a book and see the people who are members of his universal church. And in other words, everybody that has ever placed faith in Jesus Christ, their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And we see that we are members of God's universal church. But Scripture does not only speak to us as membership in the universal church, it does speak to us as well of membership in the local church. If we were turned to Peter's first letter to the church in 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, we hear these words. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's suffering, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, 
serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Now, there's a lot in those verses and and in the verses that follow that talks to the leaders of the church. And there's a lot to unpack there that we could unpack about leadership in the local church. But what I want us to look at here is what Peter tells the elders of that fellow of that church. He says that you are to be shepherds of the flock that is under your care. Now, there's an assumption here. There's an assumption that the elders know who the flock that is under their care are. As an elder in the church, myself, Bob, Jerry and Chris are called to shepherd a specific flock. And it's this flock. And how do they know who they are to shepherd? Well, it's people who unite to this church and membership to the church. It doesn't mean they don't shepherd those who are regular attenders, but we almost hate to hear this kind of word in our culture, but priority is given to a specific group of people. And that is people who are members of the flock, who have united themselves to the flock. They are not called to shepherd every single Christian in Greenbrier County. Thanks be to God that I am not called to shepherd every single Christian in Greenbrier County. There's an aspect of my work in a rural church that I do become a community pastor, but my priority, the priority of the other elders in this church is to the members of this church. And that's what Peter's talking about here. You know who the flock is who is given to you because they have united themselves to your church, and so take care of them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul is talking to the church in Corinth. The church in Corinth had an awful lot of problems. At least 20 different controversies that Paul had to deal with with the church in Corinth. And one of those was that they were um, encouraging and accepting a man within the church who was openly sinful in a sexual relationship that was not with his wife. And they were allowing it to happen. They were not bringing it under discipline. And so Paul confronts them about this. And he says, beginning in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12, he says this, What business of it is mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those on the outside and expel the wicked man from among you. And so what Paul says here is, says, I'm not called to judge people outside the church who are sinning, who live a life of sin, who live a life of rebellion against God. What is Paul called to do for those people? It's to evangelize them, to remind them that there is a God who will judge them in the future, but there is also a Savior who God has used to provide salvation for those people. But, but Paul says when it comes to church discipline, we do have, <clears throat> excuse me, we do have right within the church, to discipline those who are within the church. And then he says to expel the wicked man from among you. Going back and referencing Matthew 18, where we get to the end of the process of church discipline, and it says, treat the man as if he were never a member of the church. And by the way, we, we may touch on here in a few minutes that church discipline is actually one of the benefits of church membership. It's one of the, the benefits that our form of government lays out for us that you can um, expect as a church member. And then finally, 
In Acts chapter 5, verses 12 and 13, you can look that up later if you like. It's Acts chapter 5, 12 and 13. It talks about, um, this is right after Ananias and Sapphira came in. And they lied to God about what they had given to the church. They sold a piece of property. They held back a part of the piece of property. The money that they got from selling it, which was their right, which was their their privilege as the owners of the property, which Peter makes clear in the passage. But they laid a portion of the money before Peter, before the church, and they said, hey, look, we're giving 100% here, even though at the same time they were holding something back. And Peter says, look, he asked him, he gives him a second chance. He said, are you sure that's all that you have given? And they said, absolutely, that's, this is 100%. Look how wonderful we are. And Peter says, look, you had the opportunity. It was your property. You didn't even have to sell it. But you lied to the Holy Spirit. You were proud. And the Holy Spirit struck Ananias and Sapphira dead. And you know what? In, a, in even a town as large as Jerusalem, that kind of news spreads pretty quickly. You know, when God takes an active role like that, that active, that public, news like that spreads pretty quickly. And, and in verses 12 and 13 of Acts chapter 5, it talks about how the people outside the church, while respecting those inside the church, made sure they did not join with them and align themselves with them. They were fearful of God's judgment. They were fearful of other things we may assume. But the point is, there were people who were considered to be joined to the church, and there were people who were considered to not be joined to the church. And there are other examples throughout Scripture. We have Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 12 and 13, talking about calling those who belong to the church to listen to the elders, um, to obey them even as they teach, as they raise them up, because the elders will be held to account for um, those who are under their charge. We have the, the witness of the Israelites who you were either part of the church of, or the nation of Israel or not part of the nation of Israel. We have the, the witness of Scripture that basically boils down to this. Church membership is something that is almost expected within Scripture. And even though it's not explicitly put out there, um, we see that church membership is something that is biblical and is attested to in Scripture. But it's not just a command. Not all, you know, all of God's commands, we oftentimes think of God's commands in the thou shalt nots category. It's all oh, nuts, I can't do that. But all of God's commands, all of God's teachings have benefit for God's people. And so church membership is good for us as well. And I want to see this through three words that Paul uses to describe uh, members of the church there in Ephesus. The first one we read in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. It says, Consequently, and once again, that's in light of the fact that we are united in Christ. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners or aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people, and this is the phrase here, members of God's household. What do we think of when we think of a, a household in our culture? Well, we think of maybe a mom and a dad and a 2.4 kids. Maybe we think of a single parent with however many kids they have. Maybe we think of a single person who's living in an apartment by themselves. But we think of these individual isolated units whenever we think of households today. 
households during Paul's time, households during Jesus' time, even going back as far as the founding of the nation of Israel, households were almost communities. Not communities as in fairly, but communities as in you would have a patriarch. Um, and then you would have the patriarch's wife and the patriarch's children and their spouses and their children and any servants or employees that the patriarch might have. You would have this group of people that was large and lived all together, at least on the same property, if not on the same under the same roof. And there were benefits to being members of this household. You had the protection of the patriarch. You had the resources of the patriarch. You had the the, um, group working, the, the household working together to provide for everybody. You had generations there to teach grandchildren and great-grandchildren as they sat on the knees and on the laps of their grandparents and great-grandparents. You, you had this family unit that, while not perfect, because it is made up of humans, but that, while not perfect, brought great benefit to everybody within the family unit. We've lost this idea of household even within the church Because we are so fragmented in our families. What's one of the main problems in our county, in our state? We call it brain drain. But what it boils down to is the kids leave as soon as they get done with their education. That was unheard of during this time, that everybody was together. They they fought together. They lived together. They supported together. And that's the picture that Paul gives in Ephesians 2.19 of the church. I'm not the patriarch or the patriarch of the church. Please don't, please don't give me that role. I'm an under shepherd. I'm an under patriarch. The true patriarch of the church is Jesus, who is the head of the church. And we are brothers and sisters literally because we are outsiders that are brought into the glorious membership of this family of God through the work of Jesus Christ. The benefits of that is that we have protection from the world. We have leadership, which we have talked about. We um, have people who struggle Together, which we'll, we'll dive into a little bit more when we look at the next word. But we have a large family unit that is diverse. That is here for each other to lift up, to protect and to care for. The next word we see in Paul is in chapter three, verse six. That he uses, he says, this is the mystery that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body. And here's the phrase and sharers together in the promise in Jesus Christ. As part of the household of God, we are sharers together. And that's mysterious. It's really mysterious for us because we don't like to share. Not just our toys but our lives. Because the idea there is not just the toy sharer, it's the life sharer. This household is here to share life, to share the ups of life. Paul tells us in one of his other letters, he says that we are called to rejoice with those who rejoice. We are called to mourn with those who are mourned. 
who mourn, who are mourning. Church members are a family of people who share life together. I, I'm not a crier. I, I don't know if you guys have figured that out over the last 11 years. I think maybe you've seen me do it three times. But this is a safe place for me to do that. And I know that. And so when I'm sad over people that I've lost or I'm sad over the difficulties of life, I know that I can share my life with you. That's what a church is. We do really well sometimes rejoicing with those who rejoice. But we, we, we need to remember that life sharing is also mourning with those who mourn, struggling with those who struggle. And that's what's good for the church member is that you have a place where people, because of no other reason than they have been saved like you by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, want to share your life, want to be part of your struggles, want to be part of your rejoicing, want to be part of your mourning, or at least should be. We have internal access to a household that brings us encouragement because it shares our life with us. It brings us assurance because we know that as we share life together, we figure out that, hey, some of the same things I struggle with, you struggle with too. And some of the things you struggle with, I struggle with also. And, and that should give us assurance. That should lift us up. That should buoy us in the fight. And finally, the other part is hinted at in verse 6, but also shown in chapter 5, verse 30, the third word used to describe the church members. Very short verse, it says, for we are members of his body. It's the picture in, in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 of the church working together with Christ as the head, with the church as his body. It's the picture even that he references in this larger passage on wives and husbands, where the church is the bride of Christ. But the picture here is that we are members of Jesus' body. Jesus is at work in the world. Do you realize that? As crazy as this world seems to be falling into, into the madness that we see in our country, whether it's viral, whether it's political, whether it's emotional, whatever it is, the craziness that we see in the world around us, Jesus is at work in that. And to me, the even crazier thing is that he uses us as his body to do that work. Now, if we didn't have a church to belong to, we read the scriptures, we see that we are to, as it's told in Acts chapter 1, that we are to take the message of Jesus and be witnesses to Jesus in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. How effective am I, IQs, all by himself going to be in taking the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth? Absolutely ineffective. But as the body of Christ, I know that through my tithes and offerings, through the proclamation of the gospel right here in fairly West Virginia, that the gospel does go to the uttermost parts of the earth, whether it's via the internet or whether it's via via portions of my tithes and offerings going to support missionaries that do go around the world, that are called by God to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. And the even more glorious thing in that is that we are not all the same when it comes to being body parts who are doing the work of Jesus. 
You have spiritual gifts that I don't have. I have spiritual gifts that you don't have. And in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, Paul says, what good would it do for all of us to be, I don't know, a hand? It'd be one weird looking body if it was just a hand. It'd be like Sing from the Adams family scooting around in the living room. But we make up a complete body as the church that is given the task of being Jesus representatives in this world. And when we get discouraged over, man, there's so much that Jesus commands me to do and I just can't do it. Well, you're absolutely right. You can't, but we can. And so church membership, whether it's through uniting us to a household of faith, whether it is uniting us to a household of faith that becomes life sharers or uniting us to a household of faith that becomes life sharers and also the body that Christ uses to do his work. Church membership is good for you. But church membership's good for the church too. And it's not just because we have one or two more tithers. Church membership is good for the church because, as I mentioned earlier, the leaders of the church have to know for whom they are responsible. Bob, Jerry, Chris, Ike, we're all going to give a special account to God for how we shepherded those that God gave us. But thanks for you to God that he gave us a way so that we could know who God gave us. And that is through church membership. It gives us it gives us an idea of who to focus on. It gives us an idea of who to minister to. Not that we don't minister to anybody else, but it, it lets us know um, where priority lies. If we have to make a choice between ministering to the church or to the community. Church membership also lets the church know who is responsible for choosing leaders. One of the benefits of church membership that we don't talk often about is the ability to vote in congregational meetings if you are of age according to the state in which the church resides. Um, That puts a lot of responsibility on the church membership, but it's good for the church to know who that is. And it also lets the church know, it also lets the leaders know a list of people who have committed to be about God's work, to be about God's mission for the church. Because in joining the church, you do make a commitment. One of the questions that we ask when we go through the process of church membership is that do you promise to exercise faithful stewardship of God's resources entrusted to you for the furtherance of God's kingdoms and purposes? Now, when we hear stewardship, the first thing we jump to all the time is money. But that question's not just about money. Questions about resources, it's about time, it's about strength, it's about using your spiritual gift in such a way that God's kingdom and purposes are furthered. And as we welcome church members, new church members, we are reminded that even though we may get weary, we're not alone. And God does breathe new strength into his body at times. And so... Church membership is biblical. Church membership is good for the member and church membership is good for the church. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we do thank you for the church. It's, it's, it's a family. It's a family of broken people and all the joys and all the struggles that go with that statement. But it is your bride. 
And you were the bridegroom who sacrificed everything for your church. And so we thank you for that. And we thank you for the people who will be joining our church today, who have gone before the session, who have said their vows, answered these questions, and have said, I want to stand with this church on behalf of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Lord, bless this church through them. Bless them through this church. Help us to be a household that glorifies you. Help us to share our lives in such a way that glorifies you. Lord, help us to be your body in this world. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So now if uh, Cameron and Kimberly and Jonathan, and Kimberly and Jonathan are going to bring their kids up as well. If you'll join me here in front. We're told that the disciples sang a hymn following the, the initial Lord's Supper, and so please take your hymn book and turn to hymn number eight. Bless, O my soul, the living God. We are called to praise. We are called to bless God. So let us stand and sing hymn number eight. Bless, O my soul, the living God.
As you go this week, take this blessing upon you. The grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, be with you all. Amen. And come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.